And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And welcome to From the Rookery the podcast all about Watford Football Club. And it's brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. With me is Mike. The ups, the downs. We're always saying whatever. Hi, John. I think we're going to have a down podcast. But Watford did draw <laughs> yesterday 1-1. And uh, Jason is here. Good morning. Yes, uh, it is Sunday. And yesterday Watford had a trip to Loftus Road, which is always a convenient away day. Uh, it's a lovely close stadium where you can really feel the, feel the game. And we were feeling it from a distance. But it was quite disappointing, I say, that the club didn't offer the authenticity of Loftus Road with putting a post in the middle of the screen, uh, which Pete Bradshaw pointed out on, uh, on Twitter the other day. But in fact... Kate Pickles really did take it to another level and she did put a post in front of her television. So good on you, Kate. Really hope you felt like you were there at, uh, at QPR. Mike, uh, you weren't at the game, uh, but you know, you're watching it from afar. 1-1. Surely 1-1 was, would have been, you know, as an away game in the championship. Uh, what's the word? Not, uh, not, uh, not uh, accept- uh, uh, you know, fairly acceptable. Well, yeah, I was at I was at Wickham Wanderers against against Brentford yesterday, so it was interesting to see how another sort of team that was tipped for promotion in Brentford coped at, at Wickham, and they got a draw like we did. So, in watching that, I think it's important to realise that other you are playing another team, and and DCW made the, the, that point in our in our WhatsApp group, which was sort of pretty full of negativity after 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 about three minutes. It was all down downhill from there, wasn't it? And I think when you're a bit removed from it. And you're watching another game. You're watching two other teams slug it out, and two other teams sort of play that game. It's it's very physical chess, but you know, trying to best each other. And it's important to recognise that you're up against another another professional sporting outfit. And the other thing that was was ringing in my ears as I as I walked away from Wickham and sort of ruminating on the on the Watford result, which obviously hadn't gone to plan, obviously had gone downhill, was Jason's mantra which we we we've listened to and enjoyed for the last 10 years draw your away games win your home games so having not seen it i wasn't as down as as everybody else um but then and we'll we'll go on to talk about this and hear this later i did hear vladimir ivich's words after the uh, after the game and that made did give me give me pause for thought the disappointing thing was obviously such a great start we had a bit of momentum early on and and didn't seem able to to capitalize on some familiar problems in there as well but if you know in just black and white if you didn't know the context of the of the game itself if you didn't know anything about the performance I think points away three points at, at home are going to be okay but are there bigger issues at play here 
Well, we will hear from Vlad, uh, hear the audio. Adam was at the game for uh, The Athletic and uh, did send us over the audio uh, for what Vlad had to say post-match. But Jason, we saw the team. They've had a couple of weeks off. Some have been away on international duties. And I look at the team on Twitter. I look at it and I go, I look at it and I look at it and go, that looks like three up front. This is what we've been hyped about. This is what's going to be good. Was it any good, Jason, in the first half? Yeah, I, I thought it was better in the first half. And what I thought was better was the press. Uh, and we've heard Colin talking here before about how we've not been pressing as well as we as we think we can do. We did it to good effect when Pearson came in last season. Mm. Other teams have been doing it to us. And I thought our shape and our application of the press was, was decent in that first half. I was concerned about the midfield because I thought we might struggle in terms of numbers. And that did come to fruition at times. But then also I thought the back three did a good job of stepping out and challenging when QPR tried to, to move the ball from back to front really quickly. I thought particularly sort of Cathcart and Wilmot, who is sort of the wider of the three, probably had more of a, a remit to do that. I thought they did that very well. Yeah, all, all things considered, I thought the first half was okay. Yeah, we got a goal. I wouldn't call it a, 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 we made the chance. It was a corner. Very badly uh, defended by QPR, but the attacking prowess took a while for the front three to do anything, Jason. But we saw the the continual, you know, attack of Ken Senmar. But particularly, Kiko had a, a great start to that game. Kiko again. I mean, it, I feel like a broken record now when I talk about Kiko because I sort of single him out quite quite often. In fact, last time I singled him out for having a having a poor game, for struggling against against Coventry. Yeah, again yesterday there was just a a, a massive massive void down Queen's Park Rangers left-hand side that he was exploiting sort of time after time after time. We got into some dangerous positions sort of down that right-hand side. It almost carved out a goal for for Andre where it was sort of a, 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 the slightest of touches in the box. The ball sort of trickled towards the line and the keeper... Painfully trickled, Jason. It painfully trickled. <laughs> just got enough of a touch on it to sort of divert it wide. It was a, a sort of decent reaction save from him. And yeah, and so he linked up. I thought he linked up with Saar quite well down the right-hand side. It was blindingly obvious that, that QPR had a problem down there and couldn't cope with what was going on. They actually made a half-time substitution to to uh, to fix that and, and that went well for them and I don't think in the second half we were nowhere near as dangerous down that right hand side as we were in the first. You've hit on a problem for me I think I think Jason. I think True Stikong had a had a chance as well and the, so there were chances in in that first half but that link up between um Kiko and and, and Ishmael Asar is is a Premier League link up and not just a a, a normal Premier League link up. I think that is a real quality outlet down that right hand side that the touch is usually that you know Jason said that Kiko's not you know he's not 100% 100% of the games but when he's on it he his touch is so much better than anyone else's on the pitch he is his movement he understands where he needs to be and that link up with Saar should should be creating us so so much more for us and it, and I find it frustrating that we can't quite uh, you know, and we'll go back to teams are are dealing with it and are learning how to deal with it. And as, as Jay said, they they made a change to nullify it in the second half. But it, we should be creating more with the, with the talent we've got on on the pitch, and that's that's the frustrating thing. And yes, we did create chances in the first half, and, and we and we didn't take them. But how do we utilise this quality that we have? 
how do we make the most of it? And well, we're 12 games in now, and it's it's certainly not time to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it seems to be happening more often than not. And again, you know, I haven't seen the, the full game, but Jason mentioning those two players again, it's just, you know, it's just it's just reminding me of it. We've seen it so much that we're just not getting the chances that we, we should be doing. And, and the other thing is, and, and watching the, the various WhatsApp groups, I mean, yesterday, all the, all the messages roll in. We've got to capitalise on this. We've got to, we've got to make the most of, of being 1-0 ahead because, you know, we're not going to have, you know, we won't see the game out with this dominance throughout, as it turned out to be pretty prescient. We've got to capitalise, we've got to capitalise, we've got to capitalise. And we, and we didn't. And, and it's frustrating, really frustrating. You went and sat watching it, Mike. Think about that. Think how yeah, we felt. Yeah, yeah I'm, grateful. I'm grateful. I mean, the weird bit for me, Jason, was the first 45 minutes was this sort of adaptation uh, with three up front, with Gray in the middle, Pedro on the left, and, and Zara on the right. We were seeing stuff happening on the right. I, I didn't really see Pedro do much in that game. He did show his strength of holding the ball up out there with, with him working with Ken. Andre did have that painful trickle across the, across the goal, but it felt like they just needed a bit more time. They, they they got into that first half. They started to do what you expect them to do, but then they they got broken up at half time. Would you think they could have just done with a bit more time? Yeah, I think so. I, I, Pedro had sort of one moment of magic where I think he sort of drifted inside and then played a lovely ball through for for Saar, sort of between the between the defenders. Saar, if it was, I think it was the right chance, he did one that he should have scored, where he sort of broken through and should have scored. Yes, I absolutely do think they should have been given more time. And it's easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? But the whilst, I don't know, perhaps, perhaps the thought was that Gray and Pedro weren't doing so much with the ball. But as I said before, I thought off the ball, as a unit, that front three, we were pressing much much better than we have done all season and causing QPR problems and 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 we just lost that when we made those substitutions and changed that shape but Jason yeah it was it was two up front that were substitutes substitutes that were made which is bizarre I think in in many ways generally why two two at half time was that because hey I can make five and I'm t- making some changes because we're going to be playing a lot of games over the next few weeks? He didn't make another substitution after that. There were no other substitutions in the game apart from the two at half time. It changed several things. One, it changed what the front or there wasn't a front three. Hmm. It was a front two, two up front who were Premier League and successful last year in certain games uh, alongside. What we thought was going to be Queener, but Queener wasn't playing, as we've never seen him play, as part of a front three. He was sort of a little bit everywhere. Very, very eager, trying to do his stuff. But it really changed the shape. Do you think we lost more up front, Jason, or do we lose more in the midfield? I think we lost lost in both. To start up front, Deeney and, and Saar, I thought it just didn't look like a partnership. You got two up front. You expect them to play as a pair. To if one moves out wide, the other player needs to move with. Look for any knockdowns, flick ons. Be available for a pass, and that just wasn't there. I think Saar is going to naturally drift wide, and he and he did that from time to time. And our players will be looking for the ball to him, either to feet or over the top with his pace. And there were times where you could see he would move wide, and and Troy would still be sort of standing static in the middle, that big gap between the two players. And you can't have that if you've got a, a, a front pairing. And then in midfield, you've got 
we I thought we played better in midfield with a two in central midfield than we did with a three. And it almost felt like Capu and Chalabar knew they had to put the effort in when they were a two. In particular, Chalabar, I thought, did well in the first half in the whilst we were perhaps lacking in numbers there or outnumbered in that midfield in the first half. Chalabar in particular was defending the 18-yard box really well. And then when QPR were getting the ball wide, he was getting back into the box and defending from within the 18-yard box, defending those crosses that were coming in. There was quite a few times where he was either getting the first ball and getting the ball away or reacting to the, the second ball uh, when the ball's been defended in the box. And he did, and he worked really hard and did that really well. In the second felt, second half, it felt like him and Kapu, it was, it was almost like, OK, we've got three in midfield now. We don't have to work as hard. Mm. It, we just seemed to lose that little bit of energy and enthusiasm in the middle and it and it just made things a whole lot more difficult and like you say Keener was running around lots of energy but a bit like his other performances this season there were moments of brilliance where he did things really well and showed his skill and his technique but a lot of the time there were bad decisions holding on to the ball too long mm. and then losing the ball in dangerous areas and it and it just didn't work at all that's that's been that's, I've, I've had a, got a real issue with our midfield and i have done for the majority of the season, I think on paper that's where we're most blessed. If you look at look at the type of players we've got and the list of players we've got, and I know we're waiting for for Will Hughes to come back, but we've got you know we've got ball carriers, we've got ball players, we've got tough tacklers, we've got experience, we've got exuberant youth, we've got we've got it all in midfield. And I think all too often, and I don't know how much this is down to to the tactics or the way they've been asked to play, but midfield is. It's almost non-existent. It just is unable to impose itself on on the game, and and in turn, Watford consistently throughout the season been un, unable to impose themselves on the on the game as as a whole. And I think that's what's frustrating a lot of people with the talent we've got. Watford should be on the front foot for much much more much more sustained periods of the game than they are. And and I think the midfield is is a real conundrum and is a real issue that that needs solving. You know that transition to to attack is just so slow to all too often it's you know, when it clicks it's like this is amazing this we've got all these players who can do the do the simple things well um we've got a better touch than most people so we've got better footballing knowledge and brain we can just be a split second ahead of the defense we play it wide we get it in finish goal we've seen it a couple of times and we thought that's what this Watford side can do but all too often it is far too ponderous or unimaginative or unenergetic and I was at, I was at Wickham as I mentioned yesterday and I saw Scott Cashkett, who who caused issues against against us, and you know he's far from a household name, but he plays. I think not. He doesn't play as part of a front three, probably as part of a front two, just in behind Akin Fenwa. But the way he moves around, he comes deep, gets gets the ball, but he moves it, he spins it wide, then he's moving again. He's on the. It's just so dynamic, um, and it feels to me that we're lacking a little bit of that, which is. Which is unforgivable, really. I'm not saying we should, we should sign Scott Scott Casket necessarily, <laughs> but it's just that little bit of energy and that little sort of dynamism, that sort of the, the movement. The sort of we sort of seem to be lacking that willingness to try things and to to work hard at, at unlocking stuff. I think when when things haven't gone well for us, we've we've never really looked at, at about lightly of turning it round, have we? We've we've looked, haven't had the imagination to to turn a game on its head or to or to wrestle back the the initiative. And that's been that's been frustrating. And the the substitutions were interesting. You know, my, my cousin texted yesterday at, at half time when the subs came through to say he was pleased about it. You know, that's taking the initiative. That's being on the front foot. 
And, we, you know, we lauded Slavisa Jakanovic, of course, for making bold substitutions. And sometimes they work and sometimes they didn't. Yesterday, it obviously didn't. And I think the frustrating thing about that was that we were in the ascendancy for, for large parts of the first half, weren't we? And then we just completely lost it in the second. We weren't able to, to force any momentum in that second half at all so obviously everyone points to the um points to the the substitutions but you look at the you know the players that came on Queen is someone that we have high hopes for and we all know what what Troy Deeney can can do it's concerning and I do I do I do wonder how much you know Jason you talk about Kapu and and Chalabar in effect I think what you're, you're suggesting not in so many words is they've relaxed a little bit when they've when they've got an extra man in there because they felt that their their remit has been sort of the the pressure's off to a degree and I think we need people who are who who want to take the game by the the scruff of the neck and make things happen, step things up when things aren't aren't going our way. Because you know Vladimirovich can can drill them all they want. They can work on on set pieces. They can work on moves. They can work on how they want to transition from defence to attack. But ultimately, when you're out there, it's eleven blokes kicking a ball around, and we've got eleven really good blokes. Whoever's out there, they're going to be a, a very very decent footballer, and among them, we should have enough that are willing and able to take the game by the scruff of the neck and impose themselves on on matches like this. I've got absolutely no you know qualms about saying that. There's no easy games. It sounds ridiculous. There are no easy games in the in the championship. Like I said, I watched Wickham yesterday, who who comfortably held Brentford. Um, you know, QPR. I've got a couple of QPR supporting mates, and they were pleased with the way QPR played, and they're pleased with what War- Warburton's trying to do there. So we have to remember that we're we're not just sort of it's not just a kick about in the park. It's not just a, a procession to Watford picking up the three points we we think we should get. But our players have to realise that as well, and they have to. I, I want to see them take more responsibility when they're out there we've got more than enough talent for them to 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 kick on and and make decisions and make things happen and uh, and yes I I didn't see the entire game but it seems to me that we again we just not we haven't had enough individual responsibility not enough people wanting to make make things happen Alan Levertal was at the game at Loftus Road, lucky man, uh, and he was covering the game for The Athletic. Uh, we'll see Adam and speak to him for our midweek podcast this week, but he did send us the audio from the press conference, uh, and you, you want to find out how he felt after the 1-1 draw at Queen's Park Rangers. I'm disappointed after this game, and I should tell this the same if you, if you won the game. Okay, it doesn't matter now if the game is draw, it's 1-1, or we could lose the game. We could kill the game in the, in the first half with a lot of chance of what we missed. Okay, but it's not the way how I want to play my team. Without energy, without uh, passion, with, from the beginning. We were lucky we scored in the second minute of the game. After that, we create some chance after some counter-attack what we create. But again, it's not, not the way how we want to play and how I want to play my team. We need to, to think a lot about this game, to analyze this game, to see what it was a problem too early to speak about all the problems what we had but the truth is that we had a problem okay the truth is that after two weeks what we had to rest to prepare ourselves to to play the game we had three central defender who moved to the national teams and all of them it was good okay can tell maybe the best players in our team who played the game who had traveling and everything and about the rest cannot speak something I cannot tell something to win one game you can prepare the tactic, you can uh, work uh, day by day, you can uh, do everything what you, what you believe, what is good for the team, but 
if you don't have the winning mentality, if you don't have this, and if you don't show this, you cannot win the game. I believe that it was our problem today, that we were very, very soft in the duels, in the second ball, sometimes in the set piece, second half. Our defense, passive defense, not active defense, what, I, what we want to do to give chance to your opponent to score the goal and to the end they can score in second one and we could lose the game. Normally after first 45 the game could be 3-4-0, yes, but this is the football and we need, if we have big goal this year, if we have big target this year, we need to change our attitude for every game, every next game. We discussed it. It was the, the question uh, after seeing just those two substitutes at halftime. Uh, was it tactical uh, or were there injuries? No, it's not injury. It's tactical moment because, uh, you know, we have uh, we changed the system uh, in the second half. But again, the plan it was not was not to play just defence. OK, and when we play defence, we need to play with, nine, with, with 11 players, how we want to end attack. Fortunately, we had a big problem. We had a problem in the second half, you know, and in the first half, in some part of the first half, we need to think a lot to, to, to fix this problem because, you know, the next game is in three, four days and if we play like how we play today, we don't have a chance. And as you can hear from Vlad, you know, it's, there were some very strong words there and Adam, during the press conference, asked Vlad, did he use these strong words with his squad? You know, I, I said something what I believe. If it's strong or if it's not strong, you know, believe that my team can give more, much more than we gave today. It's not blind for some of them. Speak about the team, because we need to wake up. Because if we have this goal, what we have this year, these games we should win, we should win this game. It's impossible that uh, uh, this game is finished after how it's finished this game. Whew. I'm, I'm usually the upset negative one. Um, <laughs> the crown has passed. <laughs> yeah. Look forward to me managing Watford on Wednesday and Vladimir Rivic coming on the podcast. <laughs> um, crikey, I mean, the big, the big words, problem, kept coming through for me. I kept hearing problem. We have a problem. That's the truth. And that's quite jarring, isn't it? It's, it's, it's relatively rare to hear a head coach be quite as stark in his assessment of how his how his side has has played, and I think the good thing is, Vladimirovich has been honest throughout. He hasn't he hasn't sought to hide away from 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 when his team hasn't played 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 well, and I and I like that because as supporters we're not we're not daft, are we? We 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 see what happens and we know what's going on. But you have to worry that he is clearly extremely extremely frustrated. Um, you know, he's talked about having two weeks to work with the players and then returning a, a performance like that. He's talked about players who um, haven't been away on international duty. They've had a break, I think he called it. They haven't really turned up and, and, and put into practice what they've worked on. They haven't shown any of the benefit of having that break. And also, apart from the sort of same problem, that he, he questioned that winning mentality, which is, I mean, it's quite a stark challenge to his to his players, isn't it? So... A lot to a lot to unpack in, in in that couple of minutes of audio, but he is evidently deeply, deeply unhappy with what he's seeing, and I think it speaks to to what we've been talking about. It's not clicking, and we're not seeing enough in, uh, enough players take responsibility and really and really push themselves and, and and push each other forward. It's but 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 worrying. I mean, the, the the crux of the matter was we've had two weeks to prepare ourselves, and something has has, has gone badly wrong. And that's a, a rhetorical question that he's he's posed, isn't it? But 
quite rare to hear a, a head coach that, that stark, I thought. Great, though, that the Watford team can prove themselves again in only a few days' time. So this is the, that, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing this year with all these games. Yes, it's going to be relentless. Yes, it could cause problems if we have injuries. But if things do go wrong, they have a chance to correct themselves and to show themselves very, very quickly, you hope. It's interesting you say that, John. And uh, my brother Andy sent a uh, sent me a message saying Leeds at this stage last year weren't weren't doing particularly well, and they've they've obviously turned it on and, and ended up being promoted and doing relatively well in the Premier League. Um, so we were we were close to both Leeds and QPR this time last year. So Leeds went whoop, they went up and and out the roof of the Championship. QPR were at the similar stage to us this time last season as well. And they uh, obviously went, uh, went went the opposite direction. So. No, 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 Mike, 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 you made a sound effect for going up. What's the sound effect for going down? Uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they, they does seem to be, talking about the table at the moment, there does seem to be a group of seven that have just slightly detached themselves away from the rest of the uh, rest of the division. There's sort of seven teams within three points of each other at the top. Um, despite the fact we got that away point yesterday, we slipped from second to fifth. So it is all quite tight in that in that little group. Bristol City, that game on Wednesday, it, they are one of the teams in there as well. So a, a good chance for us to bounce back and show our credentials. You're absolutely right, though, John. That, that game after game, and we have we have to stay positive. I think I said in the last podcast that we has we suffered a blip probably a couple of games after this this in, in the Slav season. We lost four four in a row. I think it's we lost five in nine. So just things aren't going to be plain sailing. In this division, we have picked up a we have picked up a point, and we have got another chance to prove ourselves on Wednesday. Now, what you'd hope is that the players are going to respond to the to the head coach obviously being being displeased. Adam asked in in the press conference there, "Have you been as cross with the players effectively? Is you have you been as firm with the players? Have you have have you have with your answers here?" Um, and he said, "Yeah, I say what I believe." So you have to take it as face value that the players have had a roasting. That you'd hope that they would look back at their performance and say, "Look, you know, we've had a, a first half performance when we've been on top. We haven't capitalised, and then we've seeded, um, we've seeded the upper hand in the second half and come away with a draw." Where, in Vladimir Ivic's words, it should have been impossible that we we didn't win that game. So, from a professional point of view, you'd look you'd look to, to for there to be a reaction. But we've said that a lot as well over the last sort of couple of seasons, and. You know, really, over the over the over the course of our Premier League adventure as well, because remember, after Christmas we we fell off, didn't we? And 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 the players' sort of performances seemed to to tail off almost very uniformly, didn't they? We got got safe, and then we we coast into the season. So I do wonder whether there's still at its core, um, and 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 Vladimirovich brought it up, a mentality problem, whereby. You know, is there are there too many players not willing to 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 put in the, the the extra yard? Are there too many players who are still, you know, coasting? Have we not got rid of it enough of the of the of the culture from from last year, where where, where there's obviously a huge issue, and and in previous seasons when the when the form blocked off, you do have to ask questions of this play of the of the players because you know all of us are looking at the squad and are excited when we see the team. Oh, I like this. This could happen. That could happen. It's great that we've got him to come off the bench. And sort of at least fifty percent of the time, they're they're underperforming as a as a unit. And you know, we say we've got it's great that we've got another game to look forward to on Wednesday. They can they can prove themselves right. Uh, they can they can they can make things right. They can they can improve and you know a bit of professional pride, and they can respond to their manager. We've said that a lot, and and all too often we haven't really seen that 
that response. So I think it's going to be fascinating now, especially as you say, John, with the with the games coming thick and fast. If they don't pull the finger out, they will be it will be in the midfield. Uh, sorry, in the mid table mire before you can say it. And if you don't fancy it it's very difficult to, to get yourself out of it and get yourself into a challenging challenging situation. We saw when we did get promoted, we had to be absolutely on the money for that last third of the season. They had to grind out results. They had to be professional. They, all of them had to be on their game. They, they won the big games. They performed when they had to. They dug in when they had to. And are we going to see that from, from this side? I think there's, we're still early enough that we don't know the answer to that. But I think we 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 have to say there are there are worrying signs, worrying familiar signs, that perhaps they're not they're not digging in, and they're not they're not delivering what they have to, and the, the, man, the head coach is obviously deeply frustrated, and there's a lot of of, of Watford supporters who who share his frustration, and and understandably so. So there are massive massive questions to be answered, and I think they're more by the by the players. Than the, than the head coach at this at this stage, and it's getting to getting to the time where they've got to they've got to stand up and be be counted. We've talked about players coming back, and you hear about people, you know, whenever Watford are mentioned in the media, oh, they've got guys coming back, they've got players coming back when they're all fit. Well, we're not far off that, you know. We've got Will Hughes to come back, um, and that's and that's about it really. And and Messina, I guess, at left back, who's who's um, it seems to be making good progress. We could be seeing him earlier than than we thought, and that might help in terms of in terms of a shape. But I do worry about the about the mental fortitude of of this side. I just I want to see more from them. I want to see them being better as a unit. I want to see them being stronger. I mentioned how they've seen their heads go down when when faced with a bit of adversity. Coventry City at home, it was noticeable. They need to be better for longer periods, and only they can do that. But if they don't take it, the fact that these games come thick and fast means this season could um, fade as quickly as it could catch light. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Mike's name is Parkin. He's a son called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now, Arlo, there's been a lot of buzz this week in the gaming world as the PlayStation 5 has finally hit UK stores. Uh, I know you're a bit of a gamer, a bit of a gamer. That's uh, understating it slightly. But if you were to describe Watford as a as a game, which game would it be and why? Like Rocket League, because like Watford don't play football as if like East football they play it like in a different way like I don't really know how to explain it but and also need for speed another car game because they need to be like quicker and like better <laughs> well good what about your ultimate favorite Fortnite? and Watford like Fortnite at all yeah because they sometimes win they sometimes win and you sometimes win well let's hope that Watford are winning more games in the near future and you have every success on Fortnite. Arlo, thank you so much for joining us. Bye! Adam uh, has got several killer articles out at the moment on The Athletic. Firstly, his interview with Abdullah Decore, uh, which we will hopefully speak to him about on in the week when we do our midweek podcast, which Adam is always involved with. Uh, and there's an article he's put up to this morning on Sunday about the first 100 days of Ivic. What has he achieved? Uh, and uh, yeah, where, where are we? 
according to the, what we've said so far, not exactly where we need to be. <laughs> uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic, if you haven't done so already, by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. But uh, we're back with another podcast after the Bristol City game. Now, we love you listening to us every week and spending some time. Uh, we love you getting enthusiastic about listening to podcasts. So there are lots of other Watford podcasts out there if you want to seek those out. Uh, but there's one podcast that came out this week called The Beautiful Game Podcast. Uh, and in that, there's a bunch of guys who get some really quite good interviews uh, with some top, top people. And the top, top person that they spoke to this week was Christian Cabaselli. Uh, you can get that Beautiful Game Podcast from all the normal places you get your podcast from uh, and youtube they, they film it we don't film ourselves it's not worth it luckily uh, for you yeah. luckily for everybody yeah <laughs> uh, and here's a quick clip about what christian had to say about the end of last season when you look back in hindsight is there like one game you think to yourself man like we could have got over the line if we just won that game or if we just drawn this game mm, not game but games we were leading at home against everton 2-0 two minutes before the half time the end of the half time it was 2-2 and we conceded last minute uh, last minute goal against 10 men we were leading at brighton 1-0 we score on goal we were uh, drawing at aston villa uh, last minute we conceded if i had to pick up one game from these three it will be for sure the game uh, against aston villa because when you see the, the league at the end if you take two points to aston villa and uh, and get one point more it's totally different so it was a lot of games but i would say this one it hurts a lot at the end here. With other players, try to try to uh, to apologize to to the fans, but by uh, promoting uh, by promoting the team in in the Premier League. Because when you look back at uh, our squad, it's unacceptable to to be in the Championship today with players from uh, Juventus, from Barcelona. It's unforgivable what uh, what we did last season. Helen Ward, Watford women's captain, a, a Watford girl originally uh, when she was a young footballer and she returned to club in 2017. Of course, she had a huge career outside Watford, playing at the top of the game uh, with Chelsea, Arsenal and Reading. Uh, but also, she is uh, a phenomenal international footballer uh, and the highest goal scorer for Wales internationally uh, and has been banging the goals in as part of their recent qualification campaign. Michael up with her on Saturday uh, to find out how she is after such a hectic season not only not only last season but the beginning of this season for the women's team have both been stopped so how's it been for Helen and the Watford women's team it's just the unknown you know the the pandemic in the first part of the year for everyone you know men's football women's football nobody knew what was going on it was an initial sort of three weeks and it obviously turned out that it was never only going to last three weeks then you had the Premier League all the talks surrounding project restart um, and the women's game kind of got left behind a bit and decisions weren't made until very late and then the decisions that were made were very different from one league to the next they went on points per game for the top two divisions but then from our division below everything was null and void no promotions no relegations and for us obviously challenging for the title at that point and in a good run of form it was it was a bit tough to take because we really felt we had a good shot at promotion bit of a sense of deja vu then heading this time round because Watford sitting pretty at the top of the top of the league again and of course we're we, we locked down again and and then your league has stopped how does that feel and how do you how do you cope with that individually and how do you cope with that as a as a squad very difficult because like you say we were again on a, on a good run of form um we dropped a couple of points in a couple of games but only lost one in the first part of the season and 
we were sat at the top of the league and the last game we played, I think we won 8-0. So we were we were feeling really good. Hopefully, I say, <laughs> it's not going to go on quite as long at the moment. The plan is to still be out of lockdown on, on the second or third or whatever day is going to be the first day out of lockdown. Um, and I think the league have got plans to play at least one round of fixtures before Christmas and then get going again properly in January. But of course, you just never know with this virus. And then I think they've already potentially talked about contingency plans, which hopefully we don't get to because everybody involved, I think, in in the league from, from our level right down to, to sort of lower in the pyramid. I think everybody really wants to have an end to the season this time round after the frustrations of, of the 1920 season. Yeah, absolutely. And and Helen, from a personal point of view, you find yourself in a in an extraordinary situation, really. You're hugely decorated, obviously, international, internationally, Wales' leading scorer. You're in the midst of a, of a qualifying campaign with Wales. So on one hand, you've got to keep yourself fit, ready, mentally prepared for, for those games. There's one coming up at, at the start of next month, isn't there? Whilst not playing for Watford and, and you have to sort of balance this in your head of the fact that you've achieved so much in the game as a whole but you're still achieving loads at, uh, at international level on the other hand you're you're effectively bluntly being told and I know it's only a phrase that you you fall under a non-elite category when, the, when it's the, the week to week how do you odds that how do you deal with that and is, is it something that sort of speaks to the state of, of the women's game still that on one hand you're you're performing at a high level, on the other hand you're being told you're not. Yeah, it's a really strange one, and I, I sort of put a, a tweet out, which was just, I, you know, I wasn't expecting anything from it. I was just saying I miss being an, an elite footballer. <laughs> it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek yeah. remark, um, but it kind of got picked up a lot more than I expected, um, and it made me think. You know, it is it's crazy because, like you said, I've I've got I meet up on on Monday with the Wales team in what is classed as an elite environment. Obviously, we're, we're an international team. It's the highest level I can play at, but I haven't been able to play football for nearly three weeks by the time that comes round. And it's kind of like, how, how can one part of me be considered elite and, and the other part not? And there's other players in the same position as me um, within our league who are, who are internationals but haven't been able to play. And it just seems a little bit unfair that, that the cutoff for elite is so high you know with only two divisions being considered because actually from Watford point of view I can't obviously speak on behalf of all the clubs in our league but I know for a fact that the facilities we've got the the support we've got the protocols we've got in place the fact that some of our players still work part-time full-time is very similar to probably 80% of the teams in the championship who have been allowed to continue you kind of think "Well, well why has this line been drawn where it has when we're actually in a pretty similar boat to most of the teams in, in the league above us. You know, I heard all this talk about facilities being a big issue when they talked about boys and girls academies and the fact that boys academies usually take place at the men's training ground and a lot of girls ones don't. Well, actually, from our point of view, we do exactly what, what a lot of the teams that have carried on do. So it, there's just a lot of blurred lines for me and it has been it has been a, a bit of a strange couple of weeks um, to get my head around, but you know, I've I've had to do what I've done. I've been on my treadmill, you know, four or five days a week and trying to keep myself in some sort of shape. And luckily, it has only been a couple of weeks, as I said, that I've had to do it for rather than sort of five, six, seven weeks, which would have been a lot a lot tougher. 
just sitting here, just scratching my head, trying to work out how it would feel. No, luckily, I'm never going to experience it for real. I think I've missed the uh, the international call up boat. But you mentioned the the, the facilities at, at Watford, Helen, and how things have moved on. And and as a supporter, for for me, the, the women's team have become sort of incrementally more visible and more sort of inextricably linked with with Watford. It feels like the whole setup is is better more focused and more sort of set up for for success really We've sort of seen a couple of signings obviously Sarah Wiltshire has come back and, and hit the ground running again scoring loads of goals it feels like everything is geared up for success really and and, and it is being done properly is that a fair assessment and and how have things changed over the over the years at Watford in particular when you've been involved yeah it's definitely a fair assessment I think it's um it's a world away from when I was first at the club um, and I left originally in, in 2009, you know, I've come back seven, eight years later, a totally different place. Mm. And even since 2017, when I re-signed, it's changed immeasurably again since then, you know, we've moved into the training ground. Obviously, coronavirus has had a slight impact in terms of the fact that we're not able to use the gym as often as we, as we were able to just because of, you know, making sure everything's clean and everything for everyone else and numbers in small spaces and that kind of thing. But, you know, the pandemic aside, we're very much integrated into the club and the use of the facilities. Um, you have access to medical staff, especially if we have any any more serious injuries. We've got some really, really good guys that are helping us out on that front. And just from, from top to bottom, the whole place seems to have sort of, I don't want to say welcomed us in because it sounds a bit patronising, but <laughs> integrated us, like you said, but, you know, we, we are more visible and it's great to hear you guys say that because it means that what we're doing is working. You know, we've got six pages in every home programme, which at the moment, I'm not sure how, how much use that is because there's nobody going to games. But <laughs> there are, you know, we're, we're in things, we're in kit launches, we're visible in, in many campaigns that, that the media team put together. And I think that's big for us. For me, I think one sort of positive if you can take one from this pandemic is the fact that while we were playing we could have supporters at our games and I've definitely noticed a number of people that have come along because they can't get to Vicarage Road and watch the men at the moment they've thought do you know what we've got a Sunday where we can't do much else let's go along to watch the women and you know from the people I've spoken to they've they've really enjoyed it and become sort of new fans if that makes sense and hopefully once things do return to some sort of normality and, and Vicarage Road opens its gates again, people will still keep to come, in, come into our games because that's that's huge for us. And, you know, we like to think that we're a welcoming club and that they, they're going to enjoy their experience. And, and hopefully that can continue. Absolutely. And if it feels like, Helen, we're moving more towards a situation where if you wear the Watford badge on your on your chest, you're a Watford player, you're not a Watford men's player or a Watford women's player. You you just you, you represent the club. And I think people are starting to get behind that. Just quickly, if, if this season does um, manage to get to a conclusion and Watford, as we as we hope, stay at the top there, as I'm sure you'll, you'll help make sure they do. Promotion, that's fine. There's no issues about Watford going up. Everything in place for for that to happen if if go up yeah as far as I'm aware I mean last season I think around January February time our our general manager Grace she was working day and night to put together our application should we be successful in in the league campaign and, and finishing up at the top she definitely had a very good application put together for those that don't know you have to meet certain criteria um, in order to be able to be promoted to the championship. And from what I gather, 
um, and for, from what I've heard from Grace and, and other people involved in this application, ours was very strong. And I think the feedback they got was very good from the FA. So I believe that there may be one or two things just to, to change in that if, if the application process comes around again. From my point of view, I think we're in a very strong position that if we we do our job on the pitch and we do finish top of the league, then there's there's every chance that, that our application will be successful and we'd hopefully be playing championship football next season. So, yeah, it's very much a case of, right, everything's in place off the pitch. Now we just get it done and over the line on the pitch. So there's motivation for us all, definitely. No pressure then, no pressure. Double promotion, <laughs> would, be, double promotion would be good at the end of the season. It would be lovely, yeah. Alan, you mentioned dealing with injuries and stuff. Renee Hector got a really nasty injury earlier on in the season. How is she? She's doing okay. She she obviously had a period where it was very difficult. She's had a tough, tough couple of years, to be honest. She had a lot of things go on at her previous club in terms of racism and, and, a, and a whole sort of case surrounding that when she was at Tottenham. Then when she left there, she went to Charlton and had a couple of injuries as well. So I think for her, it's just sort of culminated in in this terrible injury that sadly she's been through before as well um I think about seven or eight years ago so it's just been a a very difficult time for her but from from my point of view as as the captain of the club I think she's been outstanding for us off the pitch she's helped out when we've needed support earlier on when Mickey our sports scientist wasn't able to be at games because of COVID protocol and the crossover between his academy role and his role with us and she's took the lead on helping us with that in warm-ups for games and friendlies. She's been our biggest cheerleader on the side and she's really held herself up to unbelievable standards because the sort of person she is, she's an infectious personality um, and you'd never know that she was suffering from, you know, a season-ending injury, um, you know, whatever else is going on aside. She's really kept kept her spirits up aside from probably one or two sessions when she's maybe not been herself but she still kept around the group she's she's been a really positive person to have around so I'm really grateful for her and I've made sure that she knows that we appreciate everything she's doing you know we know she's doing as much as she can and, and I'm sure when she does get her operation which I believe is quite soon I think I can say that hopefully she'll be getting into the rehab nice and quickly and, and she'll be back on the pitch before we know it and hopefully able to join us if we do succeed in promotion she'll be able to join us in in the championship next year so obviously all the best to Reddy and and she was also at the forefront of the of the campaign at the, the start of the season head and around the about the shirt numbers and the and the importance of and the, and the relevance of those shirt numbers that got some some press but for those who who missed that can you just sort of run through what 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 that campaign was all about as I said, Renee had an issue when she was at Tottenham where she was racially abused on the pitch um, and it got a lot of attention, some good, some bad, and it was a lot for her to deal with. Obviously, during the first lockdown, there was the George Floyd incident um, and a lot of stuff surrounding Black Lives Matter and protests and everything like that. So it was very topical. And throughout lockdown, we got together as a group on Zoom, as the whole of the rest of the country did. We had a lot of, a lot of conversations on Zoom and... Just as a group of players, we decided that we wanted to do more. And, and Megan Chandler came to me. She sort of instigated it. And she came to me and she was like, Look, I want to do more, but I really don't know how to approach it. I'm obviously a, a white person. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to go about it in the wrong way. And I said, look, I feel the same, but let's let's put it to the group. So we decided that there were a number of things we wanted to do to make it not just be a moment in time, but actually something that, that carries on throughout the season and beyond. So as well as a couple of other things, um, Alicia came up with a, a suggestion of 
changing our shirt numbers to represent a person or an event or something in history that you know could be linked to, to Black Lives Matter and, and supporting people of colour. It wasn't anything, you know, you didn't have to do it. It was entirely everybody's personal choice. But I think pretty much everybody um, has gone with it and has different reasons, which hopefully will come out throughout the season, everybody's individual choices. But for example, my number 68 refers to Peter Norman, who was a, a white Australian Olympic athlete. And he stood together with two black American sprinters as part of a, a black power movement back in 1968 at the Olympics. And he basically lost his career because of what he did, it was kind of just, for me, the epitome of, of what a white person should be doing to help their their black counterparts and standing up for them, you know, no matter what it what it means. Um, and he actually ended up, when he passed away, the, the two black sprinters were pallbearers at his funeral. So it goes to show how far it went um, and what it meant to, to the black community. As I said, everybody's got different numbers for different reasons and, and they should be put across all the Watford channels as, as the season goes on. But yeah, if anybody wants to know any more, then just shoot up a message to any of the players on, on social media and I'm sure they'll be able to help you and, and uh, explain why they've chosen their numbers. But yeah, it was just a just a sort of little gesture to get people talking um, because obviously people are used to us wearing certain numbers. So to see me go from number 10 to 68, I'm hoping that it makes people say, well, what's that about? And then they can perhaps learn a thing or two about what it means. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Great to talk to, to Helen. I think she's an absolutely magnificent ambassador for, for Watford Football Club as a whole. You know, her international career we, we spoke about is incredible. Uh, she's been a, a, an incredible servant for, for Watford as well. And just hearing the talk about the, uh, about, the, about the campaign with the numbers, it just makes me so, so proud, really, as a, as a Watford supporter, that a Watford team was willing to, to put their heads above the, the parapet to come together and, and come up with something so, so meaningful. You know, it's very easy to, to do a, a post on, on Twitter or Instagram about um, about something you care deeply about, but to actually get together as a, a unit and, and make something happen, make a, a visible statement, there was lots of uh, traction in the in the press about it. I think is is admirable, and it speaks to um, Watford's roots, which are in the community and about doing the doing the right thing. Um, and just yeah, hugely proud of uh, of that group of, of of players, and absolutely fantastic to to have someone like Helen involved at the club you know she cares about it and at, at every level and yeah and you can tell that and yeah, a privilege is always to talk to her thank you very much for your time michael you're more than welcome let's keep going watford come on please and thank you jason uh, thank you uh we're back after the bristol city game early on your thursday morning for you to listen to the next episode of from the rookery end make sure you subscribe to the athletic if you haven't done so already by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and follow us on social media at what podcast on twitter on facebook and on instagram We'll be right back.